Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal Series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, Down There, Sexual and Reproductive Health, The Wise Woman Way. And Abundantly Well, Seven Medicines, The Wise Woman Way, the newest book in the Wise Woman Herbal Series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Knees, a cancer diagnosis, adaptogens for long life, and abundantly well companion course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Sarah Ellen. Hi, Susan. How are you doing this evening? Well, keeping myself on this roller coaster of weather. (laughs) Yesterday, it was in the high 50s. The sun was shining. We were out barefoot. 
playing in nature this morning. It was sleeting and snowing and gray. Uh, <laughs> wow. It's, it sounds like here we've been having a lot of that, like quick change weather. Really? I mean, whoa. <laughs> I'm yes. not surprised yeah. they kept in the world. But of course, it didn't last very long. It melted off and it did get warmer. But actually, uh, what my first thought was was, oh, oh, it was above freezing during the day and below freezing at night. That's the trigger for the maple trees to start putting their sap up. Mm. You get maple sap when there's an alternation between cold at night and warm at day. Mm. Wow. February, late February is often when I have made maple syrup, so maybe the crazy weather will be good for the maple syrup this year. Certainly one of my favorite sweeteners. You know, my daughter and granddaughter... We're just here visiting for a while, and my granddaughter had the kind of <clears throat> endless group with her. Fifteen, I remember fifteen. You, you're not, you're not by yourself. You're always in a group. And so, my daughter got lots of organic milk for them, little of which was actually consumed. And so here we are faced with they're back in Costa Rica, and we're faced with what are we going to do? <laughs> so we made rice pudding. Oh, yum. I still buy, mm. you know, Lundberg organic short grain brown rice by the bag full, 25 pounds at a time. So we said, yeah. You know, so we just got that, that biggest, deepest baking dish and mixed together the cooked rice and the milk and some eggs and some maple syrup and some cinnamon and vanilla extract and put it in the oven. And do you make rice pudding? Oh, yeah. I love it. And there are two it. schools of rice pudding. Mm. The, the stir it and the leave it alone. Mm. I am the leave it alone because when mine, I like mine to set. It sets pretty firm. Exactly. We leave it alone, too. Yeah. So you get a layer of rice at the bottom, and then you get a layer of custard on the top. Mm-hmm. So good. And the stirrets don't like that. The stirrets want it all homogenized, so they stir it several times while it's baking. And, hey, both schools are get good edible rice pudding. It's pretty hard to make bad rice pudding. Mmm, agreed. Mm. Oh, it's one of my favorites still. It was all growing up, and mm, my grandmother used to make it, so it's a long-time recipe in our household, too. Yeah, such a tasty, tasty thing. So, oh my goodness, I'm getting so much wonderful correspondence from people. I'm going to start with this letter, which actually brought me to tears. Hi, I recently enrolled in the Spirit and Practice of the Wise Woman Tradition course. I'm 22 years old and live in Golden, Colorado, in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains. I'm a full-time professional gardener and a certified master herbalist. I spend a good portion of my free time growing, wild harvesting, and tincturing herbs and giving them to my community. 
I love cooking, fermenting, hiking, learning about wild plants, painting, making pottery, music, and learning new skills. I was first exposed to herbal medicine by my grandmother, who taught me the one and only herbal remedy she used. Da 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 da, da lemon balm. This oh. plant, this plant, became one of my best friends. I also had a very wise elder woman who lived on my block who became my friend. When I was seven, she began gifting me herbal books and amber glass dropper bottles of Bach flower essences with which I would play pretend that I was an herbalist. Wow. Wow. I grew up around a lot of chronically ill people. And my desire to learn to use the herbs to help became insatiable. I read every herbal I encountered, nearly all of which were heroic. I devoted a year of my teens to a vegan diet, juice cleanses, fasts, alternative and purgative, herbal capsules, and prayers of repentance. I experienced how powerful herbs can be but became very weak, depressed, and ungrounded living this way. Thankfully, I found nourishing traditions by Sally Fallon and Chinese medicine, both of which restored my health and ignited my curiosity to find a new way. I enrolled at the School of Natural Medicine when I was 20 years old. The author of my favorite herbal books at the time, Farida Sharon, created this small school to train people in her vision of naturopathy and herbal medicine. What I love about her work is that she was able to soften the edges of naturopathic practice through her holistic, creative, feminine thinking. We made enemas more gentle by adding slippery elm. We added seaweed broth, seaweed broth to fasting regimes. We combined powerful herbs like lobelia with gentle ones like marshmallow. We used flower essences to coax at the deeper emotional roots of our clients' problems. Unfortunately, as I was reading the naturopathic texts for my homework, I noticed an unacceptable undercurrent of white supremacy, patriarchy, misogyny, and homophobia. Mm. And mm. has, how has he managed to leave out racism? Mm. I remember one of my first forays in learning that alternative medicine, that iridology was all the thing, and the man who created iridology was teaching, and so I went to, to his class, you know, this big thing up in Albany, and the first thing, the first thing seemed to me, maybe there was all kinds of introductions and thank yous and stuff, but that, that just went by. The first thing he did was to have a blonde-haired, blue-eyed white man get up, and he told us that black skin was the result of the accumulation of centuries of filth. What? And that brown eyes meant that your shit was all the way up to your eyeballs. And that human beings were supposed to be blue-eyed and white-skinned, and I walked out. Mm. Wow. That is crazy. Oh. But think about it. Think about it, right? 
clean, is pure and white. Mm. Mm. Wow. Right? And see, this is dirty. And dirty is black. You know, it's... the. It has always seemed to me that the heroic tradition is intensely racist. And the few times I've tried to talk about it, I have been kind of told that I was crazy, but I'm not. Mm-hmm. And I, so I was very happy to read this letter that at least he saw the white supremacy. I, I think I would take it even further than just white supremacy. Um, the Patriarchy, misogyny, and homophobia. I started to wonder if I'd ever be able to help heal anyone because neither myself nor anyone I loved lived a pure lifestyle. At the end of the day, I am a a gay man who curses, drinks, eats meat, makes love, plays in the dirt, and doesn't want to fit into anyone else's mold. I realized I would forever be at war with nature and at war with people's bodies as a naturopath. Mm. I didn't distance myself from naturopathy after I graduated, but even started to feel uncomfortable prescribing herbs like golden seal, blue flag, and false unicorn due to ecological and safety issues. So I passed along to my private practice to connect to spirit and regroup. I paused, sorry, not passed, I paused the launch of my private practice to connect to spirit and regroup. At that time, I reconnected with a local herbalist, Asia Dorsey. Asia apprenticed here for a couple of weeks, who introduced me to using safe, simple tinctures and nourishing herbal infusions. My world turned completely upside down. When I realized that herbal medicine should meet people exactly where they are, not where they would be if they were pure. Mm-hmm. When I read Healing Wise, everything clicked. I saw I didn't have to fight the flow of nature anymore. I didn't have to change or fix anyone. I could help the people in my community by nourishing them, not by starving them. I could welcome in the darkness rather than trying to purify or transform it. I started nourishing myself with the seven medicines, and who I am as a person fundamentally changed. Wow. I'm overjoyed that I have this opportunity to learn the wise woman way more deeply and to connect with you. I'm grateful for what's to come. And he's only 22. That's so beautiful. Wow. He has really, that's remarkable. He's experienced a lot on his journey already, it sounds. And he's found you and the wise woman way. And that's amazing. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just so fantastic. One of my buddies good friends, is Mary Rose. And Mary Rose is always teaching me things and sharing things with me. So I just wanted to say how much I love her and how wonderful it is that she sent me pictures of her and um, 
that uh, she has just completed work on her new website, which is comforttouch.com. And if you don't know Mary Rose's main work, she does a lot of really interesting things, but her main work is massage for elders, for people literally with thin skin, and it's called Comfort Touch. It's amazing, amazing technique. So comforttouch.com. And she's a YouTube channel, Rose Vine Tube. She took an anatomy course and had the professors really scrambling because she brought up that it was inappropriate to call female reproductive parts by men's names. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I why, like are they fallopian, why are they fallopian tubes? What does Dr. Fallopus have to do with it? Hello? Why are they Bartholian glands? Dr. Bartholus, again, has very little to do with this. These things can have better names. And while we're down there, I was thrilled to read that I think, and I could be wrong in exactly who it is, but it's some big august medical body like the American College of Gynecological Surgeons has said, leave those ovaries alone because when we take them out, it leads to heart attacks and dementia and bad stuff. So just take those fallopian tubes out and leave the ovaries be. Yeehaw! Hooray. Spread the word. Keep your ovaries. You remember I did. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very, very important. Beautiful ovaries. (laughs) Very beautiful ovaries. Mary Mm -hmm. Rose is the woman who figures in the story about the raw food meal, which almost killed her. Oh, wow. I Yes, I know that story. Yes, mm. I know you know that story. Mm. All right, and one more letter. I know we're taking a long time for letters today, but there are a lot of letters. And I just want you to know that they're all beautifully decorated. Oh, and did I mention the best letter that I got today that was the most beautifully decorated? It was a very sparkly birthday card. Aww. From someone named uh, Sarah Ellen. Oh, wow. It took its time getting to you. My goodness. Didn't I know? Well, the mail is so slow these days. (laughs) Thank you. It's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. So this is from Gina, who apprenticed and will forevermore be the apprentice who burned the barn down. Oh, mm. wow. happy, I remember. Happy, birth, happy birthday, Susan. May your year be full of wild green wonder, health and healing and abundant beauty. It's mm. been a crazy year. I welcomed my beautiful baby boy into the world outside my womb June 1st. He's absolutely gorgeous and has been my most rewarding experience thus far in life. Also the most challenging. Funny how those two tend to coincide. And the birth was quite laborious. I intended a home birth, but my water broke early, and after laboring at home for two days, I was 
transferred to the hospital for an induction. He was born sunny side up, facing the stars. <laughs> Not the ideal position, but we got through it drug-free, besides the induction drugs. Breastfeeding has been going well. In fact, he only just started liking solids. I've been drinking fennel and fenugreek seed teas, and they're both delicious. Of course, I am keeping on with drinking my nourishing herbal infusions. <clears throat> my uh, baby boy hasn't taken, taken to them yet, but I will keep offering them. Oh, and breast milk, such a great remedy. Chapped nipples, irritated eyes, diaper rash, squeeze, squeeze, give him a dose. So, yeah, I suppose I've just been in the new mom haze, and sometimes the emotions are just so intense. i become a stay-at-home mom. I mean, that's what I want, and I'm grateful for it, but ah, it's such a radical shift in identity in daily life. I take some getting used to. I'm so glad to hear that you continue to heal and I'm constantly amazed at how you're able to keep teaching and showing up for your shows throughout all of it. As for my correspondence course with you, aha, keys and stars, all right, I guess I have to do some work now. I zoomed in for my first Wednesday group, and I'm going to continue to show up there. What fun. <clears throat> I know I wrote to you a while back. I can't remember if I left a message on the phone. Well, you've been showing up in my dreams, and I'm running out of space. The earth's beginning to stir. Bye-bye. Mm. Wow. That's so beautiful that you two keep in touch. And I just really, mm, that relationship that you two continue to weave together is really special to watch from the experience, firing. beautiful. No blame, no shame. Mm-hmm. You know, people always talk to me about forgiveness. I said, nah, you know, don't forgive anything. Right. But if there's never any blame and there's never any shame and there's never any guilt, that's how you never have to forgive anything. Mm. Mm. Speaking of apprentices, there's going to be an apprentice here tonight, Caitlin Ilya Wolf. She apprenticed in 2006, and she went to Earth Haven Echo Village in North Carolina, where she has been working, um, doing lots of interesting things, and she's going to be talking to us tonight about what's been going on for her in the, what, 17 years since she was here. Mm. So I'm looking forward to spending some time with Caitlin, and I bet you will be interested to come back at 9 o'clock or stay with us until then. So what's been up with you this week? Oh, well, we've had the same type of weather that it sounds like you're having. Tomorrow it's going back to cold, rainy, and probably sleet. Um, So I've been trying to not get too excited and rush spring, really. And um, I kind of did help myself with that this week because I did the silliest thing and sprained my ankle doing nothing other than just stepping out my back door, literally. Oh, no. 
Isn't that the worst? Yes, it was just my husband. I walked right back in, and he had this look on his face like, what could it possibly be? What would you forget? I'm like, no, I think my leg is broken. <laughs> but it didn't break. It just bent, and it's sprained. So um, I've been spending some extra time with Comfrey and keeping a poultice on there. It's been helping a lot. So um, I've been having a, a slower week, and which is good because it's not spring enough here to really be outside doing the things that I want to do. The ground is still too frozen, so it's okay. I'm I'm taking this the cue to settle down. <laughs> oh, <that>. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, they they pulled the carpet out from under you to get you to slow down. I I told my husband, I'm like, you know, some people would say that there was a little fairy or a troll or a nature spirit out there that just, that's honestly what it felt like. It was just the ground that was there was not exactly where it was a moment before. And there was absolutely nothing to it. Yeah. Yes. I was just (laughs) down on my butt, which I did pretty gracefully, really. I went down almost like I meant to just sit down on one, you know, with one leg folded. So it it was interesting how fast that just went down. Ha ha. Um, there was no ice involved in that at all. Well, you're, you're, no, I mean you're putting ice on it. Oh, actually, no. I um, that's one thing. I tend to not not really um, appreciate ice on my wounds or injuries. I almost always opt for heat. So this this time too was no different. Um, I did the comfrey, or I make the comfrey poultice and like a little reusable tea bag after um, I have the comfrey, and then that way I can just keep it on there um, all day. And then when I want to put on the warm heating um, pack, it, it just kind of reinvigorates, it feels like. But no, I don't do ice. That's why I'm suggesting it. Oh, okay, I see. This particular kind of injury, I think you might, if you try it, you might find that your body wants it. Okay, I'll give it a shot. Yeah, and if not, you'll say no. You can take some yeah. comfrey, and what I did was I would, like, uh, spread it across an old stained kitchen towel and then kind of roll it up like a jelly roll. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't let it freeze, like, hard. I just let it, like, get, like, kind of icy. Okay. And then I could use that. If I wanted to, I could put, like, a cloth. Um, It was my wrist, around my wrist, right? Mm -hmm. And it's Mm -hmm. your ankle, right? Yeah, my right ankle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you could, like, put a sock on. And then put the cold comfrey compress around that. Mm-hmm. That's that pretty much what I've been doing the warm way. So I'll give it a shot cold. Give it a shot and see what you know. ankle thinks. It, if you don't like it, nothing lost. But it's That's nice sometimes right. to revisit the things we think we know about ourselves. This is true. Thank you, Susan. <laughs> You're so welcome. Uh, anything okay. else? Like, I mean, not that that is not enough, but... <laughs> um, no, there's really not a whole lot else. I mean, I could talk about other herbs I am having fun with in the winter. 
I know it's getting that quiet. It's that quiet February time. Mm-hmm. But we, where we kind of hold our breath a little bit because it really is really yes, it is too early to do any of those things you're thinking about. Stop! Don't do them yet. That's right. Exactly. Oh my goodness! So true. So so true. I'll I'll say one thing really quickly. The herb that. Um, I've always been asking, why is this showing up all the time? And then this winter, I finally, you know, was able to really lean in and and not wonder in a way where, because it's poke. And I was like, gosh, am I getting this? Why is poke always showing up around me? Is this something I need? And I have this little, um, like, skin cancer thing on my hands that I'm pretty sure is like a basal cell cancer thing, which I've had burned off before. And not always successful. So I have been, with the poke, it's so interesting. When you break the stalk open and there's still this material inside there that just really wants to come out and be a poultice. So I have been taking that material out of the stalk and, uh, you know, the dead, frozen, fallen over stalk, and then just putting that on with a piece of medical tape on top. And it's been so interesting. So not resolved yet, but it seems like it's like pulling things out, but in a really um, neat and tidy way. It's not like oozy. It's just really dry. It just looks like a, like a scab. um, Wow. Yes, it's so interesting. The inner piss of the dead poke stalk. Yes. Yes, and I'll, I go to as close to the bottom as I can because then it's um, a little more juicy, even though I know that's just like the frozenness and stuff. It still seems better when I put it on there because it's just yeah. wetter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, if you like go to like break it off to like clear the garden, which is one thing you can do, right, it will like kind of naturally leave a kind of stump. Mm-hmm. Because it won't break off right at ground level, and it's that part that you're talking about. Right, exactly, exactly. And fortunately, I did not clear the garden because I don't know that it would work so well if if I had because it was just encased so nicely in that folded over, um, you know, tall stalk, and it just had about so (laughs) many of them that like. Oh, so I've been so grateful that they all were there. <laughs> really nice. It's grand. <laughs> yeah. And Rebecca yeah. Jane from Holland sent me paper that she made out of grasses from the field, dried golden grasses. It's beautiful paper. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it's really paper. She wrote on it. And some nettle fiber that she made. Wow. And a drawing. Now, these are all like show and tell, and we're restricted here to say tell, so you can't see any of these things. But I just wanted to say a big thank you to Rebecca Jane, a great delight, all of the beauty that she sent my way. Mm. Mm-hmm. Sounds beautiful. Do we have anybody with questions tonight? Uh, yes, there are two hands that are raised and ready to ask questions in the queue. I'll remind everyone listening, if you have a question for Susan this evening, please press 1 so that we can see your hand go up in the queue. 
And um, if you're looking for the dial-in number, if you're logged in online, the dial-in number is up in the top right of your screen. So once you're dialed in by phone, then press 1 on your phone keypad, and you will be um, with, seeing with your hand raising at you. The first caller is dialed in from the 714 area code. From the 714, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. Happy belated <laughs> birthday. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, I have two questions. Um, I have a, um infection on my gum where it meets the tooth, and it uh-huh. keeps coming back for the last, um, I would say, six, seven months. It's a, like a uh, like a bubble, you know, and it, when I brush my teeth, it pops in the the pus, I guess, um, goes away, and then it comes back. And I've taken one course of antibiotics, and it came back. And I um, ended up seeing a <clears throat> specialist that they did a, um, a kind of like a scan. Yeah, not a scan. And they didn't see anything in the bone. So the... Um, I was, the next, I guess, uh, step would be to pull the tooth out because he said that if it keeps coming back, that means it's from the tooth. And um, I was hoping to try something um, natural to see if it will work before I have to take the tooth, to pull the tooth out. I've tried echinacea, just taking it. Not, I haven't applied it directly on the um, on the infection area. So I tell, was wondering if I can. Yeah. Tell me about the echinacea you're taking. Um, but the way, um, well, yeah, I'm not taking it the way you recommended it. I just take it three times, one dropper full, three times a day. Mm-hmm. Um. So, and what kind of echinacea are you taking? It's um, the, the tincture by Herb Farm. Mm-hmm. Herb Farm is a really good manufacturer. You have it right there. Does it say about it? Is it just is it echinacea purpurea? It is, yes. Mm-hmm. And what part of it? What is it? What part of the Echinacea purpurea is being tinctured? I, I'm root? Sorry, I'm doing... The root? It's the fresh... Oh, it says fresh herb. Um... Can I use it from the fresh undried root? Yes. From the fresh undried root. Well, that that should be an effective um, preparation, since it's, and there's no other herbs mixed in with it. It's just echinacea root. Yeah. Good. However, yes, if you want to use it to counter the infection, you do need to take enough to do that. Like you said, you you took a course of antibiotics. Yeah, I did. And it so when you took the work. antibiotics, did you take only um, a third of the dose that you were given? Yeah, I followed the, the instruction, yeah. So you didn't take only a third of the dose, you took the whole dose? 
Yes, I took the whole, um, I think it was so five I days. It, I find it curious that you're hoping for the herb to work without, be, without taking enough. <laughs> you don't even expect the drug to work unless you take the whole dose. So a whole dose of echinacea root is a drop for every two pounds of body weight. So a drop of full is if you weigh 50 pounds. Now, I'm going to guess you weigh more than 50 pounds. Yeah. I'm going to guess you weigh more than 100 pounds. I'm going to guess that you need three dropper fulls as a dose. And how many times a day? Three times? or? Well, here's what I do. If there's active infection, I take that dose as frequently as I need to to counter the signs of the infection. So if it's an infection where there's heat or fever or redness or pus, then I'm usually going to be taking my dose of echinacea every two or three hours until those signs and symptoms go away. And once the signs and symptoms of the infection go away, then I'll take it every four or five hours. which is still six times a day. And then I'll back off from there as I'm, you say that this is a recurrent infection. Yeah. And that the antibiotics didn't work. No, it didn't. And he gave me... Um, so that means to me that you need to get in there with echinacea and you need to use a lot of it. Now, I understand that what I am saying is going to be expensive because you're buying it. I really do understand that. And it's why I always urge people to make echinacea tincture themselves so that they have it on hand by the court when they need it. So this is a good opportunity. Get yourself some dried echinacea root and you want dried Augustifolia root, not the purpurea that's only really medicinally useful when it's fresh. And about a quarter pound of echinacea root is a good amount to put into a quart jar and then fill the quart jar to the top with 100 proof vodka, not 80 proof, 100 proof. It needs to be shaken up daily for the first week or so just because the roots are dry and it needs to get wet. And I actually find that it's most effective when it's a year or older, but you can start using it after three months. Meanwhile, if what you want to do is use herbs instead of drugs, then you're going to have to be willing to buy them right now. Mm-hmm. Do you have any yarrow tincture? I do, yes. Good. Are you using that to brush your teeth with? I'm not. Okay. Do you know what mitochondria are? Yes. Okay. So you know that mitochondria are important and that they're in every cell and that one of their main jobs is to make energy. What 
many people don't know is that another big thing that the mitochondria do is they help with the immune response. And a number of ways to help with immunity. Most toothpaste contains essential oil. And essential oil kills mitochondria. It's difficult to get rid of a chronic infection when you're using any product of any kind that contains essential oils. But especially toothpaste. Using yarrow tincture instead on your toothbrush will save your mitochondria and act as an antibacterial. Echinacea is okay to use as a, a you know external act antibacterial, but I really prefer yarrow because the yarrow is more stringent. And it is renowned around the world, sometimes called the toothache plant, as an aid for dental care. You said to use a tincture on the toothbrush or powder? The tincture is what I use. I can't imagine that it would be pleasant in any way at all to brush my teeth with arrow powder. It would be bitter. It would be gritty. It would be hard to get out of my mouth. Just a drop of yarrow tincture on the toothbrush is all I use. And if I'm in a low water area, I don't even have to rinse my mouth. Mm-hmm. Fine for the yarrow just to stay there. Right. Okay. So those are those are the, a couple of things to get started with. Um, the other thing is that you want to be sure that you're um, nourishing yourself well, and for me that includes drinking a quart of nourishing herbal infusion a day. Yeah, I've been doing that. Good. For me, that also includes eating at least half a cup of cooked leafy greens a day and at least a cup of some kind of red or orange vegetable every day. Speaking of greens, um, in my backyard, um, dandelions are just coming out. You know, it's not planted in my yard, it's just on the lawn. And um, I know I asked you this before, if they're like two or three inches, I can pick them by the leaves and... Um, what about the flowers? If they come out randomly, and um, can I pick them if I want to make something with the fresh flowers, like put it in the um, alcohol as I'm picking, just keep adding it to the to the jar? Or yes, yes, you can do that. Most people don't because when the dandelion blooms, when it, Usually, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them blooming, and you can get enough to make a jar of tincture in 15 minutes. It's true that right now they are coming up randomly here and there. But what I like to do is 
take them, tear them apart and throw them in my omelet. Or tear them apart and mash them up in butter and put them on a, on a baked potato. Mm. Okay. And dandelion is the most generous plant, isn't she? Always offering us her gifts. Um, I wanted to uh, ask what you would recommend in for a, um, a bladder cancer and that reoccurred and they removed the tumor, but now I need to maintain it. I got immunotherapy, one course of it, and I'm waiting to go get tested to see if it worked or not. But overall, what kind of herbs can I use for to maintain a healing part of the bladder. In addition to the nourishing herbal infusions, which will prime your body with all the nutrients it needs to repair and restore, green tea has a sterling reputation of helping to prevent any kind of cancer recurrence. And I tend to think that matcha, which is the powdered green tea, not brushing my teeth with it, but I am drinking it, um, it is going to give me more of what I want than just a green tea bag. The herb that is perhaps the most healing and soothing to the bladder itself is corn silk. And last week we read a rollicking letter from uh, uh, lovely woman who just went to Africa to work as a medical helper and midwife there. And she was talking about the rampant bladder infections that the women there suffer from, um, primarily because of difficult hygiene. And she said to them, corn silk, corn silk, and within a day, because of course they grow corn, within a day they were drying corn silk and they were brewing it up and drinking her, drinking it and thanking her. So I don't know if you can actually buy corn silk. If it's one of the things that you really do just have to get for yourself, and it really is, yes, that silky part of the corn on the cob that you usually throw away. It turns out to be a tremendous herbal remedy for the bladder. Another kind of interesting um, plant remedy for the bladder is watermelon seeds. Hmm. And they're both, they're both eaten and made into a tea. To make tea from the watermelon seeds? From the watermelon seeds, yeah, from dried watermelon seeds. Pretty interesting. I think about, you know, Dr. James Duke and his saying, you know, that Pumpkin seeds, and in fact, all seeds are very healthy for the prostate. So I think that there's probably a lot of constituents in seeds in general, which are quite actively healthy and helpful for the whole urinary tract. Because the bladder, of course, is um, influenced by all of the other parts of the urinary tract. So, 
those are easy ones in a way that you could probably find some of those. Um, there's also um, a really interesting grass called um, witchgrass, which has been used wherever it grows, and it's quite the weed, um, to help resolve bladder issues. I'm trying to remember what the botanical name of it is because, of course, that is a lot of different names. Um, it's called witch grass? Witch, witch grass, right. And again, I'm keeping this to plants that I absolutely know will be fine with whatever drugs you're taking. Mm-hmm. In other words, corn silk is just totally benign as is watermelon seed or any other seeds. Argo, Argopyrum is its name. Thank you, brain. Thank you, memory. <laughs> There's one of my older friends, Crypt. I still have good recall. I just don't have one-hour service. You used to be able to take your photographs in for one-hour service to get the prints. And I was going to say, with um, you know, you always have a guest at the end of uh, your the uh, talk. Um, It would be great to have you as a guest to learn about your, um, like, how did you get into um, herbalism and just kind of a history. I hear you. Thank you for inviting me. What an interesting idea. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Green blessings. Good night. Good night. All right. And I'll remind everyone listening, if you have a question and would like to speak live with Susan this evening, please press 1 on your telephone so that we can see your hand go up in the queue. Uh, This time we have one caller that has their hand raised, and they are dialed in from the 512 area code. From the 512, you are live with Susan. Hi there. Thank you so much for um, for taking my call and for all of your teachings. I'm hoping that you can give me um, some ideas to help with um, a problem I've been having with my foot. For about four months, I've been having trouble walking, and I eventually went to a podiatrist, and he says um, I have, like, some nerve damage, some compressed nerves in there. So um, I'm on, like, a steroid shot regimen for right now but um, it doesn't really seem to be getting much better and I would urge you to stop steroid shots immediately okay how come his his reasoning made sense to me I understand his reasoning but what happens is they destroy the joints okay you will see in the next five to ten years that they will totally stop doing steroid injections Okay. It's already clear if you go and look at studies and long-term follow-up what happens. It doesn't happen immediately, but over the long term, the the whole joint is really brought down by the steroid shots. Okay. 
So his reasoning is good short-term. But you're going to have to live with that joint for a lot of years. Yeah, it does alleviate the pain a little bit, but I still feel, I still feel pain. And, and because right. of the whole issue, I'm walking weird anyway, so there's other parts of my fitness. I don't know. This is just like... So tell of, me about the pain. What part of your foot is the pain in? Um, it's like a, it's in the ball of the foot, and then it shoots up into the toes, and so there's like it's like this tingling nerve pain when I walk. Mm-hmm. Certain ways that I walk will make it worse, and just definitely mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it's worse. Mm-hmm. Certain shoes make it worse. I tried. I went and bought better shoes, but they don't seem to be helping much. Yeah. But I'll I'll find some that. Now, are you diabetic? No. Okay. Um, Because diuretic neuropathy in the feet is a whole other thing that's going on. Um, I've been rubbing, I've been rubbing St. Joan's Ward into it. I started, I rubbed some Arnica into it. I've been soaking it in warm water. I've been... I, I, think the hyper, I think the hypericum, or maybe even a hypericum ointment, and first the hot water soak. You've been soaking your feet? That sounds good. Yeah. And it can be just in hot water, or it can be in hot water. Nurses like a little uh, Dove dishwashing soap. There's a surfacate in it that really opens up the skin. It's very, very softening. And then if you put like the hypericum ointment on after you do that, or a little seaweed can do the same thing um, in the water that you're soaking in. And then a pair of wool socks or cotton if wool is too bothersome for you. And to sleep. I think you're really on the right track with the hypericum. It's specific for nerve damage at the extremities. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. It made sense to me. Yeah. So by doing the hot soak and then putting it on, whether it's an oil or an ointment, and then wool or cotton socks and going to sleep, it's like you put your feet in a little hypericum sauna overnight and really give it the opportunity to get in. I just spent the past couple of weeks watching a nine-part series, a human longevity project. And the second part of the series was about the microbiomes, plural, because it's not just in our gut. There's microbiomes on the skin. There's one on the surface of the skin, and there's one in the deep levels of the skin. And the one, of course, at the deep level of the skin is in constant communication with, you guessed it, the immune system. Well, well, it just goes to show we're all tied together. Every part is every other part. Isn't it wonderful? I'm so glad. We'll keep those channels of communication chattering away. 
Well, thank you so much. I guess I'll just keep doing this and hope this nerve regrows or well hoping hoping is a good thing to do. <laughs> Visualizing is maybe a better thing to do. I worked as part of a carpentry team with somebody who decided to adjust his belt sander while it was running. Do not do this. He sanded off a severe amount of his thumb. Not to even mention, he made a big, beloved mess all over the new paint job. And while he was healing, he was having a difficult time because the doctors kept saying, there's nerve damage and your thumb is, you know, like ground down and you won't have a thumbnail or anything. And he's like, oh, God, you know, I'm going to be maimed and da-da-da. And I said to him, well, you know, your body believes every word you say and everything you think. So if you spend all your time thinking about this is damaged, this is going to be maimed, da 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 your body will be very happy to create that for you. If instead you spend your time looking at your good thumb and saying, when they take the bandage off, my other thumb is going to look just like that, then your body will be happy to do that too. And people say, you know, like in the letter, oh, it's amazing that you're able to do all this. It's not amazing. It's that I told my body this is what we're doing. Not just along for the ride. So you start envisioning and living with and knowing that this is working and your feet are going to be feeling really good. I hear you, and I thank, thank you. you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you go for it. You put your energy into it because we know that what we put out is what we get back. Okay. So start, right. start, loving, those, start loving those toes. I know they've been bothering you, and it's easy to get mad at parts of our body that are bothering us. But how counterproductive, right? Yes. It's not like you can ever get a divorce. Nope, can't do that. Not not with my yeah. foot, anyway. <laughs> no, just love your toes and right. And uh, apologize to them for the steroid shots. And uh, find others, other herbal pain allies. Right, maybe some hypericum tincture can help. Maybe some CBD tincture can help internally. Right, maybe California poppy. There's so many wonderful herbal pain relieving plants. Thank you. Yeah, I need. I'm gonna have to think about this, and I agree. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The you, you can find you can find ways to get that pain down without steroid injections. Oh, for sure. The I, the pain, honestly, the pain. I, I if I know it's nothing serious, I can handle pain. Honestly, whatever. Right. But, Most of us can. Yeah, if it's but, pain that says, you know, hi, you know, like Sarah Ellen is hurting from her ankle, and that's a slow down, don't put any weight on me kind of pain. But this is a different thing, what you're experiencing. That's why I checked to make sure you weren't diabetic, right? Oh, no, I'm not, no. Yeah. And, you know, right. obviously, like, I'm beat all day. I have to walk, so... <laughs> 
have to do uh-huh. it. Is, so what, um, because of your job? Yes, I'm a teacher. Got it. The um, the podiatrist also, he said that, you know, if I didn't address this, and I won't go into the reasoning, but that, that the next step would be stem cell therapy, and then after that it would be possibly a surgery, which don't actually have good outcomes anyway. It's kind of a bummer to me because he seems, he's a very just like old school country doctor, seen this for years and years, you know, and I did kind of feel good about him, but I hear what you're saying about steroids. I didn't, I honestly didn't do a lot of research. I just, I finally got to the point where I was just going to go to a doctor to see if I could get some help, but um, no, okay, I'm going to, I'm, I hear what yeah, you're saying. You know, it's too bad because we want to see a doctor to get some help. We all do, but that's not what we usually get. No. And I, you know, I just went down to New York City to see my oncologist, and she said, oh, you know, maybe you should see a urologist. And I said, no. And she said, oh, why not? I said, because there's nothing that can offer me that I want to do. I don't want drugs, and I don't want surgery. So I even get started, because that's what they have to offer. Right. And if I am going to engage in those things, if I am going to do that, then it behooves me to really beware because those are dangerous therapies and I need to protect myself. So I'm not saying we can't go to the doctor or we can't, you know, use drugs or surgery or any of those, you know, deep medicines, but we, it's on us to take care of ourselves that we're going to do that. They're not going to. Their focus is very limited. He wants to relieve your pain. Yeah. And you know, and I know that there are other ways to relieve your pain and that what you're doing is going to restore your nerve function have you, has anybody talked to you about lion's mane mushroom? Yes, I've been, um, I've been putting a little extra scoop of that into my morning coffee, so. All right. <laughs> I, I just saw another study published today showing really good results in nerve regrowth. I need to look around and poke around and see if there's anything topical out there. I'm sure there is. I mean, there's got to be some sort of a topical, uh, something to. It makes sense to me to put something on it because it's in my foot, but as well as ingesting it, you know. Yeah, yeah. And well, if you want to, you have the powder. You can sprinkle a little bit of it in your hot water soak. Or why not just rub some tincture into the area? Oh, rub some tincture into the area. There you go. All of the above. Yeah. Good thinking. <laughs> All right. Okay. Thank so you I for hope your that you would please stay in touch as well and kind of keep us appraised of, you know, what's happening. Call back in a month or, or so and let us know if any of this has worked. Thank you so much, and thank you for the empowering messages and just the reminders, and thank you. Have you a good are evening. welcome. Thank you. Okay. Dream blessings. Bye. Good night. Bye. All right, and I'll remind everyone listening, if you've got a question and would like to speak live with Susan this evening, please press 1 so that we can see your hands go up in the queue. 
And at this time, we have one caller that has dialed in from the three. Oh, wait, he's disappeared. Oh, here we go. From the, we have two callers, and the next is from the 310 area code. From the 310, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. Hello. Um, you actually touched on something that I was calling about, and that is California poppies. Um, I'm in Southern California, and they're all about to come up right now. And I threw a bunch of seeds down, so I have my own supply. And I wanted to ask you about tincturing and and then after about the application of it. Um, is there a way to tincture it where it doesn't have such a strong alcoholic taste? I think the way for it not to have such a strong alcoholic taste is put your tincture dose into something that you like the taste of. Okay, so dilute it. Well, it's not a good idea to put tinctures directly in your mouth. I put it in a little to, bit of it water. It leads to oral cancer if you're putting alcohol in your mouth all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a shock to your body to do it that way. So I always suggest that tinctures are taken in some other kind of liquid. The woman that I was just on the phone with was talking about putting lion's mane tincture in her coffee. Mm-hmm. Literally I'll, any I'll liquid. Put it in, in, I'll put it in a little bit of water, but I was wondering for, I have some friends who are sober, and um, you know, I that think California coffee would benefit them. There's not enough alcohol in a dose of tincture to make them unsober. I work with. Okay. I work with a lot of people who are sober. And we don't send them to the liquor store to buy the vodka, <laughs> but they feel perfectly safe and fine taking tinctures and even having tinctures on hand. And I have checked in with hundreds of them. You know, when you when you get like a craving, do you think I'll drink the tinctures? And they laugh at me and go, Oh no, what? Mm-hmm. It's medicine. It's not like booze. I said, well, you know, like people used to go and like buy cough medicine and drink that for the booze. And they said, you know, well, that's that's when you're like really strung out. That's not when you're like sober and you have a craving. You don't crave cough syrup. Right. Okay. Right? I just like you wanted might, to make sure. <laughs> right. You might do that if you're like really like, blah, blah, blah. but it's not what you're going to like say, oh, gee, I wish I had some of it. So yeah, um, okay. I, I really think it's safe. And same thing with Muslims. Muslims have an exemption. They are not to drink alcohol, but they can have tinctures because okay. it's medicine. Okay. And we're not drinking. And I remember. I don't know if you remember ago. when Yvette was t- taking care of her husband when he was going through, you know, three months of radiation and chemotherapy. And he was taking some pretty heavy-duty painkilling drugs. And she called me up really almost on the verge of tears. And she said, oh, my gosh, I was reading the warning label on one of these heavy-duty painkilling drugs he's taking. And it says you can't take it with the alcohol. And I've been giving him tinctures. And I said, okay, mm-hmm. let's think about this for a minute. There's about 40 dropperfuls to one ounce of tincture. Right. 
even if you're taking six three-dropper-full doses of echinacea a day, that's still only 18 dropperfuls spread out over 24 hours. Mm-hmm. It's not a drink. Okay. I just it wanted to check with you right, before. Your body doesn't <laughs> react to it as though it were a drink. But, yeah, okay. don't, none of us should put it right in our mouth. When if if I'm really like in a place where I don't have any liquid of any kind, I will spit into my palm and put the tincture in my spit and then suck it up. Ah, okay. Right? Um, really, and the other thing I wanted I to ask. I put tinctures you. right in my mouth, and that's partly because I, especially now, you know, take tinctures every day. Mm-hmm. So this would be a daily assault. A drop of yellow tincture on my toothbrush is hardly enough to count either, right? Mm-hmm. That's going to be good for my oral health. It's not like I'm putting a dropper full of alcohol in or tincture in my mouth. Just one drop on the right. toothbrush. Right. And I remember on um, one of your episodes, I think it was a couple of years ago, you had started experimenting with California poppy and you were saying that less is more. Yes, for me, it certainly was. Mm-hmm. And do you still feel that I'd way? I'd be interested to try the tincture that I made last summer. I had a, a big pot on the deck with a nice uh, grove of California poppies. There were maybe six or eight. It was a big pot. And still in all, it wasn't a hillside of them. And so, you know, I would go out and get like a couple of petals a day and drop it into my jar of 100-proof vodka. And it t- turned a beautiful, the color of the California poppy. Mm. Very very lovely. I haven't tried it And you yet. only used the flowering tops or did you use all the way to the root? I used just, just the petals. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Susan. You are welcome. Green blessings. Good night. All right. And looks like we have two callers that have pressed one. Oh, three callers that have pressed one uh, with the question. And the next is dialed in from the 908 area code. From the 908, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. It's Carol Raftis from New Jersey. How are you? I'm well, Carol. How are you? Excellent. Thank you. Um, I was wondering if you had, um, I I was watching also the uh, Longevity Project, and um, uh, I couldn't keep up with it, though. Um, You know, you had to really be disciplined one a day. Um, uh, But did you have any um, great, you know, anything you could share that you really, as a takeaway from the sessions? Yes. It was very telling to me that the first session was on mitochondria. Yes. And although I've always, you know, known that mitochondria are from your mother, you don't get any mitochondria from your father. Whether you're a boy or a girl, you get your mitochondria from your mom. Um, It never really, like, kind of, like, struck me that that meant that the mitochondria actually have different DNA than yourself. Mm. 
So your cell has a nucleus with its DNA, and then the mitochondria has its DNA, and that's different. Mm. And so mitochondria are really independent, and they can die. They can um, make more of themselves. In the easing, I was talking about brown fat and creating brown fat by getting cold and it turns out that really what a brown fat cell is is an ordinary fat cell that has a super abundant amount of the mitochondria, which causes it to look brown. And the mitochondria we are seeing more and more are very active player in the immune system. Wow. So it makes me really happy that I have been telling people to avoid essential oils because one of the things essential oils do is destroy mitochondria. Wow, yes. Mm-hmm. And I found that throughout the series. And the reason Carol is saying that you had to be disciplined is that, of course, you can buy it and watch it anytime you want to, but they were offering it for free. Um, one, you know, basically you had to watch one a day because they only gave you 24 hours to watch it. But then they gave you a, a replay weekend, this past weekend. You could see any of the nine episodes. You could binge oh, watch all nine of them if you wanted to. Oh, so I, I, thought, I thought that was very generous of them. Yeah. And, sure. of course, you know, what they're asking for it is, is pretty reasonable and they're willing to throw you know everything including the kitchen sink in there with it as well not only the nine episodes but all of the uncut interviews right the 22 elder interviews and almost a hundred interviews with scientists and researchers and healers as well as the transcripts of all the interviews i mean it goes on and on and on and on and on all of the things I also, and I think I might have talked about this last week, was really struck by Stephanie Seneff talking about um, how we're getting it all wrong about vitamin D. And that vitamin D is just there to alert the hormone-producing parts of the body that there's a lot of sulfated cholesterol available, which is the building block of most hormones. And, of course, when we take a vitamin D supplement, there is no sulfated cholesterol available. So it's really a not a nice thing to do to the body. And so, once again, I was, you know, very happy to um, get some scientific explanation for what I know to be so. And also... I, uh, just a, a little bit of confirmation. I don't know if you've heard me say that perhaps vitamin A and vitamin D, which are made in the body, maybe it's not vitamin A itself that's healthy. Maybe it's not vitamin D itself that's healthy. Maybe it's a process of making them that's healthy because gee golly gosh I've had a lot of teachers tell me it's not the product it's the process have you ever heard that Carol it's not the product it's the process yeah uh huh yeah so I have long thought 
that it's not the vitamin A or the vitamin D. It's a process. It's a process of making them. And that turns out to be just what Stephanie Seneff is saying, that the process of making the vitamin D creates all these sulfur ions which cluster around the cholesterol and thus make it available for us to make hormones from. Right. Right. So... I really enjoyed the series, and um, you know, one of the things that Jean Houston taught us to do was to multitask. She said, "Do not ever let anyone tell you you can't multitask. You can." And she used as the, the example driving, right? Where you're doing something with your hands, you're doing something with your feet, you're using your eyes, you might be listening to the radio, you might be solving the kids' argument in the back seat, right? You're probably thinking about where you're going, so you're multitasking. She said, of course yeah. we multitask. We multitask all the time. So I didn't sit there passively and watch it. I put it on and ran, or I put it on and washed dishes, or I put it on and swept, or whatever I needed or wanted to do. Yeah. 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 So, you, you know, always always give yourself the opportunity to multitask. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh there, you know, there were all of the interviews with the elders were just delightful, and I don't know if you got to see one of the later sessions um, where they uh, were with a woman in her late nineties. I think she's ninety-seven or ninety-eight, who lives independently in Japan and works in her garden. And they yes, showed her after yes. her in her garden. It was a l- yes. lovely shots. Beautiful. Yep. Very inspiring. Yes. Absolutely. All right, Carol. Um, so I'm gonna, there's, there's a couple of other people. Let's see if we can fit them in before we talk to Caitlin. Thanks, Thanks so much for your call. I love you lots. Love you lots. Green blessings. Bye-bye. Green blessings. All right. And one of our callers has disappeared, but there is one caller that has a hand raised from the 203 area code. From the 203, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. This is Nora. Hi, Nora. Um, Hi. I have two unrelated questions. Um, Maybe I could ask them both if there's time briefly. Um, The first one is about my dog who um, just this week basically sliced one of her incisor teeth, like one of those small teeth on the bottom. Um, She, I believe chipped it on a rock so it's basically like half of it is cracked off and I know I've already talked to the vet and they of course suggest extracting the tooth I guess that's standard operating procedure but I in the past I've blindly trusted vets and actually my cat had to have some teeth extracted which in retrospect I don't know if that was the best course of action so I'm just yeah trying to I don't know what to do because I'm not a vet. Tell me a little more about why it might not have been the best course of action for your cat. Were there repercussions? Did it harm her health ultimately? Um, I guess it's hard to say. Well, he's he's a big hunter, so um, it I guess limited his ability to tear into his rabbits or whatever mice that he was killing. So. Yeah. And, yeah. And the teeth were extracted 
presumably yes. for some reason. Yes, they say if, you know, part of it is cracked off, I guess they tend to suggest removing teeth um, to prevent infection, so kind of prophylactically, I guess. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that would be kind of like if you backed into a smallish tree and broke it off. Right. So I think we can all easily visualize that the broken tooth or the broken tree now, in fact, really is prone to infection. Mm -hmm. That stuff does get down in there. And the difficulty when we're talking teeth is that the roots of the tooth, and maybe it's true of the roots of the tree too, go into the circulatory system. And the part of the circulatory system that is very close to the heart. Mm-hmm. So it's actually possible to have a life-threatening infection in your heart from a tooth without necessarily seeing anything going on in the mouth. Mm-hmm. Right. So this is why what vets and dentists see is that if, if it's broken, that they can extract it now and have a surface that's not vulnerable to infection or they can leave that vulnerable surface and then have to do a lot more work when infection occurs. That makes sense. Who's an outdoor cat and a hunter. I... I... Unfortunately, think that without those teeth being pulled, the cat might have had a very short life. Yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah. So it's it's a very dangerous thing if a if a wild animal breaks a tooth. Mhm. And it's one of the things that we can offer our animal companions is dental care, which they for sure don't get in the wild. Very true. Okay. So I should trust the vets because they're, prof- they're, yeah, they're professionals. <laughs> they know more than I do when it comes to canine dental yeah. health, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. And if you have reason to not trust, you can check it out and check out. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. depending on how it is, maybe it will heal, depends on where it's broken. But it's a, the tooth is an interesting structure. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you could chip part of it off, but for humans, if you break your tooth, they grind it down and put a crown on, right? 
Right. They don't want you walking around with a broken tooth either. Now, we're no. not going to put a crown on a dog's tooth. No. <laughs> so, just as we're not going to suggest that we pull your tooth because you broke it, we're going to offer you a crown, an expensive, somewhat complicated procedure. Uh, we're not going to offer that to the dog. We're just going to pull the tooth. Right, right. Okay. Okay. And, you know, you, you know, lots of ways to keep your dog healthy and happy through a procedure, which will be, when all is said and done, probably more traumatic to you than the dog. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you so much. Okay. We got Do five minutes for that to... last question. Okay. Perfect. Thank you. Um, it's, somewhat related just how you said it'll be more traumatic for me and that's absolutely the case um i have i i have ptsd as someone with a lot of trauma some of it is actually my own dental trauma um but i i now have the awareness that, that i i know what's going on at least but i haven't yet been able to manage like chronic nervous system dysregulation, kind of like a low level of panic that's always kind of there under the surface, just from a lot of different traumatizing things. I guess I have complex PTSD. I hate labeling myself, but that's just, I don't know, just, <laughs> just to let you know what's going on. Um, so just any any tips for um, for healing PTSD? Well, one of the most interesting things that I have heard of, and interestingly, one of the things that I kind of stumbled on, is the idea that post-traumatic stress offers you an opportunity for discovery. That the D is discovery, post-traumatic stress, discovery, not disorder. Hmm. When I was awakened with a gun at my head and my house destroyed, right. I, I couldn't get it together. I would shake. I would cry. I was, you know, the whole nine yards. We didn't talk about post-traumatic stress then, but it was clearly that. So instead of trying to force myself to do what I clearly couldn't do, I went on a voyage of discovery. I camped out in North America for the next two years. Wow, wow. Yeah, the voyages of discovery that others who've decided to turn it into post-traumatic stress discovery um, have taken have to do with nature, with art, Mm-hmm. with service to others. Yeah. So there's a variety of kind of themes that emerge when we say the best way for me to re-regulate my nervous system is to do something active. And hey, for me, camping out and often in a different place every night 
meant that I was sure nobody was going to wake me up with a gun to my head. Right. Right? I'm reading a book called Amazon Woman about um, a woman who is kayaking the Amazon River from its source to the ocean. A voyage of three months and some pretty hairy stuff. And, they're, I mean, they're in the Amazon jungle. And the people there are so stressed that they make modern people look like we are living the life of Riley because we are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Perspective. I mean, post-traumatic stress, that's their life. They don't know if the neighboring tribe is going to get them, if the the drug cartel is going to get them, if the loggers are going to get them, if some wild animal is going to get them, if a python is going to eat their baby. I mean, it is constant, 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 constant stress. Traumatizing. (laughs) No, it's not because they live in nature, right? Oh, mm-hmm. Right? So I'm, I'm not denying that on the individual level, of course it is. But there's that overlie of nature, whereas when when we're stressed, it's we're trying to make ourselves fit into something that's unnatural. Right. Get into nature. Get back into nature in some way. Find some artistic expression. Find a way to serve. Give yourself the regulation your nervous system needs. And accept that those things happened. Mm -hmm. But they need only to have happened once. Mm. You don't need to remind yourself they happened. Ooh, yeah. Good point. Your brain wants you to. The brain gets hold of something like that and plays it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again to protect us. And we have to stop it. We have to stop that. And And that also allows the vagus nerve to come back on. But I truly find that bare hands or bare feet on the ground is one of the fastest ways to reset the vagus. Ooh, okay. I will do that. Yeah. And now it's time for us to talk to Caitlin. Thank you so much, Susan. Green blessings. Thank you for your question. Green blessings. Caitlin Ilya Wolf is a priestess facilitating rituals and ceremonies for individuals, large and small groups, and her community of Earth Haven Echo Village in Western North Carolina. Caitlin is an ordained priestess with the Temple of Diana, a women's earth-based tradition. She has led women's circles, and seasonal ritual cycle in her community for over 15 years. Caitlin offers a monthly red tent ritual online for women. Her passion is supporting people through the process of personal ritual, rites of passage, the cycles of community ceremony, and women's circles. Caitlin apprenticed with me in 2006, and I quote, it changed her life. 
Lynn, how wonderful to be talking to you tonight. Hi, Susan. It's wonderful to be talking with you. So glad that I get a chance to hear what's going on with you. Yeah. So what do you want to talk about? What do you want to tell us? Well, I really am so excited to get a chance to talk with um, women about ritual. Um, I've really, really grown to realize how important ritual is in all of our lives. Um, and I think it's it can feel far away for a lot of people. Um, it can feel unapproachable. And um, I've really grown to, to really um, feel how much it helps us to embody our lives and really sync up with the world around us. Um, I re- I've, I've gone through a whole journey of, of figuring out um, how important ritual is. And when I say ritual, it can, it can look um, so many different ways. It can be personal ritual with us by ourselves. Um, it can be ritual in a community with a small circle or a larger community. Um, but a way to um, have a structure to really be able to sink in and connect with the world around us and to honor the cycles of our lives, um, which, you know, life moves so fast and um, ritual is really a way to help us to, to ground ourselves and be present in the world. Tell us more about your community cycle rituals. Yes, here. I live um, in a community here in Western North Carolina, and we have um, a cycle of rituals throughout the year that we've been growing our own tradition, really, um, over many years. And so we have um, rituals for all of the quarter and cross-quarter days, so the equinoxes and the solstices and the holidays in between those. So there's eight holidays throughout the year and um, among some others as well. Um, And we've grown to have a ritual cycle in our community where we have um, both big community rituals and ritualized um, work that we do around each of the holidays. And it has become a real rhythm for our community. I feel like um, having, um, as, as modern humans, we're really cultural orphans. And um if it can feel we, in this modern world we can really feel lost um and to have a tradition to have traditions that you share with those around you that can ground you in the cycles around you and within you um is really powerful and so we have um different structure of ritual that we hold for each of the holidays um and to, that you know change every year but they have the same basic structure and so it can really, they really hold us throughout the year. And um, to be something that we expect, that we celebrate together, that we connect with nature, we connect with the divine, and we connect with each other as a community through these rituals. Um, and I found them to be really powerful, um, both for me personally and as a community. They really help us to connect um, with each other and with the land that we live with. And that's certainly one of the things that you experienced at the Wise Woman Center. It's a very ritualized experience here. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, my experience with you, Susan, was really um, completely life-changing for me. It really helped me to shift my 
paradigm of the world um, and really sink into what's important for me and for those around me. Um, the Moon Lodges you led are one of my biggest inspirations for the Red Tents that I now lead, um, that I lead both here in my community and online every month for women all over the place. Um, and just that monthly rhythm of the Moon Lodge with you really helped me to recognize that the the cycle the, that you could count on it that cycle uh, comes around every time and, and you know it's a spiral you know as you say we, we spiral around and we come back to the same place but it's a little bit different and having those rituals that are there for us every month or every year that we can really count on um, as a way to connect um, ha- yeah it was so important to me um, I've been thinking a lot about today I've been thinking about also um, when I apprenticed with you, Susan, the, um, when we would bleed, we'd be able to take a day off and how important that was. I'm bleeding today, so I'm thinking a lot about that and about the importance of my own personal cycle and of honoring um, time with myself and honoring the sacredness of my own personal cycle and, and sharing that with other women. Not only do I encourage apprentices to take the a day off when they bleed, but I also pay them to take a day off. Exactly, think, exactly. Yeah, I think should be you know uh, a corporate necessity. <laughs> I completely agree. I completely I, agree. And that's so, one of the things I talk about in the red tents is is how I I think when we bleed as women, we're doing work for the whole world if we really allow ourselves to take the time and sink into what's going on in our bodies and that connection that we have with the holy as we bleed. Um, I, I, yeah, and I really appreciated the time with you to really savor that time of that my time of bleeding was appreciated not only by me but by those around me. I was even getting paid for it and to see that how important that is for the world to, to see women taking, taking that power. Yes. And thank you for carrying it on and spreading the word because every woman that you empower in that way and support in that way brings more to all of us. Mm -hmm. It's really a wonderful uh, compound interest kind of thing as opposed to a Ponzi Mm -hmm. scheme. It's the opposite of a Ponzi scheme, right? <laughs> the more people that get involved, the more there is for more people, and the people at the bottom get the highest pay. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so, for those who are a little confused, Moon Lodge and Red Tent are basically the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I, thank you. I I have Moon Lodges because I kind of got to do it from Brooke Medicine Eagle, who called them Moon Lodges. And it's a little confusing for people. It's like, is it a lodge? Yeah. Is it a sweat lodge? Do we have to sweat? And then there's that, you know, uh, are we ripping Native people off by calling it a Moon Lodge? Well, I'm certainly not, because I was told by Native women to call it that. So, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I understand all of that. So, Red Tent um, is kind of the same thing. It's a little bit confusing. The Moon Lodge, because we don't quite understand what it means, gives us Mm -hmm. a a little more slack to understand that it's a place for all women of all ages. Mm -hmm. With the the red tent, it's a little easier to think, oh, this is just about menstruation, but it's not. 
Because exactly. Just think about it. Would you really want to be in a room full of menstruating women? Oh my goodness, how horrible. We seem exactly. to have the elders there <laughs> to, to keep things going. We certainly need to have the maidens there to go get the water and go get the firewood and go harvest the herbs and do mm-hmm. all those things. Thank you, maidens. We so appreciate your energy. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's been that's been a challenge I've had to in in the wording of of using the word red tent that I'm working with here in my community as well. Um, and yeah, really making it clear that it's for all women because that's really been some of the most powerful red tent circles that um, I've been a part of have been the ones where there's um, all the generations together and here, especially hearing from um, the older women. Um, and hearing their shares about um, their experience as an older woman and even what's going on with their body, there's so much that we don't share with each other as women. Um, growing up and even as an adult, an older woman, there's so much you don't know or know to expect about your body. And the red tent can be so powerful to share those things with each other and to share our experiences as women um, that you know we all have different experiences but there are things that we can learn from each other and it's so powerful to get the generations together to share um our different experiences and, and yeah it's been it's been a really amazing the places people can go in deep shares um and things that you just don't hear women talk about usually do you still allow women to sit in age order Yes, often we do, not every time. Um, it depends on the circle. But, yes, that's one of my favorite parts. Um, often I'll do that with um, uh, a first blood um, ritual or a croning ritual, different um, different um, stages of li- a woman's stages of life rituals will gather in the order of age and we'll do a spiral dance and circle in that way. And to see everyone gathered in the order of age, uh, it's so beautiful. So beautiful. It's one of the things that I've always really liked about the goddesses and the redwoods that Jujana puts on is that we have the ceremony of all of the ages. And uh-huh. each of the age decades is charged with putting on a little skit and has been working on it for a couple of days. And we process in, you know, from the eldest crone right down to the youngest maiden. And then, starting with the youngest, the the decades come out and tell us what it's like to be in your teens, what it's like to be in your 20s, what it's yeah. like to be in your, and so on. Just marvelous. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so beautiful. Zhuzhana is truly an amazing woman for creating simple rituals that shakes the planet. Mm-hmm. She's been the one mm-hmm. of one of the strongest influences in my ritual life. Who have you, in addition to me and Jujana through me, who else have you been inspired by? Well, I've trained with the Temple of Diana um, with Ruth Barrett and Falcon River, are um, two of my main uh, teachers. Um, and you know that Ruth, priestess. of course, is a priestess initiated by Z. Yes, yes. Yes, and I studied so and visited. Yes, yes exactly, and it was amazing. Um, when I was studying, apprenticing with you, Z visited, so I was able to um, share some time with her as well there, um, there at the Wise Women Center. And oh, so, yes, how marvelous. I'm, yes, yeah, so I've been ordained in, in Z's lineage um, through Ruth, and um, 
so I really feel like my, the combination of my training with you and with Ruth and Falcon um, really helped me to feel like to, to recognize the importance of some structure for ritual that can really hold us. Um, so we could, and so then also, so that we can move fluidly and move with the time and be in the moment. I feel like ritual is—it's really important to have both those aspects, to have some structure that can hold you, that you know what to expect, you know where you're moving towards. That so then you can really let go and be present in the moment, be present in the ritual. I also want to mention um, another teacher of mine, Linda Conroy. Um, she, uh, in Wisconsin, I, I apprenticed with her before I apprenticed with you. She's the one who introduced me to, to your work and to uh, encouraged me to come apprentice with you. And her style of holding space is also a big influence for me. Yes. So beautifully thought out and executed. Yay, Linda. Her, um, yeah. Midwest Women's Herbal Conference continues on live. I will be there. Uh, yes, I will year. be there too. I'm excited. As, as will Justine and Monica Jean. The whole family's coming. Oh, wonderful! And I am excited too that I get to be with you again. Hooray! Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm holding space in the red tent there again this year, and um, and teaching. I'm re- it's such a beautiful conference. Truly, and um, I think they're still doing early registration. So if you. Mm-hmm. Get in on early registration, listeners. This is the time to do it. Definitely. Um, yeah. Do you get any pushback from people about having women's circles and holding women's space? Do I get any? Sorry, what did you say? Pushback. Pushback. Um, a little bit. Um, it's something that I'm preparing to deal with more. I, I have had some conversations and a little bit, little bit of pushback um, in some different ways, um, and I'm I'm working on on my wording um, as I as I venture forth into the more public world. Um, but I so far it's it's not been um, a lot, but it is something that I find so important. Um, to be able to gather as natal women um, is so important to be able to honor our physical bodies and our cycles. Um, And I I think there is space for everyone in different circles, and we need to be able to gather um, together in different ways. That's a very lovely way to put it. I was driving today, and and the cars had their headlights on. And there's someone who was following kind of close behind me on a country road um, so that their headlights were shining in my mirror. Mm-hmm. And um, turned off. And I felt the psychic shift in me. That there was a part of me that had felt watched. Mm-hmm. Even though the person in the car behind me couldn't see me, they weren't watching me. Nonetheless, I felt watched. And when they turned off, I didn't feel watched anymore. And I thought about how when women are together, we don't feel watched. Yeah. 
And that can be hard to explain to someone who's never experienced it because they say, wait, no, well, women are really judgmental of other women. Well, I've certainly been in situations where women have been judgmental of other women. I'm not saying that never happens, but in women's circles, that's not what's happening. Yes. I think that's a beautiful way to put it, that we don't feel watched um, because it is it's a hard thing to describe to people of the, the different energy, the different um, space we create um, when it's just women. Um, it's so powerful, and I think it's so important for women to have in their lives, um, to have space that is um, women-only space. And, um, yeah, the, the, we can let go more with each other and be present and I, I think you're right. So often, you know, people say we, you know, we do, women do have um, a lot of energy with each other of criticism and jealousy. I think we're taught that in this modern culture. Um, but when we sink in and get into women's space, um, we can really remember the support that's there with each other and remember that um, we don't always have to be competing with each other, that we, there's, not a limited number of spots for women to be successful, like um, sometimes it can feel like in the modern world. And um, the support and love we can share with each other, it's, I think it's, it's crucial for women to have that in our lives. It appears to be crucial for all people to have women support in their lives. Men live a lot longer yeah. when they have it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but absolutely, certainly for myself as a woman, I find it very, um, very critical to mm-hmm. have a ceremony and to have women-only ceremony and to have um, the space and the opportunity to do that and to do that regularly Um, I bet you have a story about how that has affected you or someone that that you've seen coming to um, your ceremonies there at Earth Haven Echo Village yes I mean it's it's amazing um, especially when I have um, red tent circles here um, for when new um, women, women who are new to the land or, or visiting, um, when they're a part of the circle, it is, those are some of the most powerful um, times for me to just really see uh, how they shift throughout the circle and the, the look on their face. That some, of, some women who have never experienced women-only space before um, coming into the red tent and just gushing over how and, – and being able to cry – and being able to really share deeply with people, with other women who they didn't necessarily know before that night. Um, And to see the shift that comes over women um, realizing what is possible in women's space. I've had so many women in red tents um, who are visiting here in my community um, tell me they're going to go home and start their own women's circle or red tent um, because they didn't know what was possible in women's space. It's really amazing to share that with, with women and to share the possibilities that we can have with each other as women. Mm. Yes, makes me smile just to hear you talk about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I can feel it myself even just talking about it, feel, feeling the power that I feel in myself when I share circles with women, especially when they're coming in and just discovering um, what we can create together. It's so juicy. It feels so alive. 
and I can even just feel it in my body right now as I speak about it because it's it, it is so powerful and so nourishing. Yes, so nourishing. Exactly. Yes. As you've often heard me say, nourishment is certainly, you know, what we eat and drink and what we take in with all of our senses. But nourishment is also about hearing and being heard. And mm-hmm. nourishment is also about ceremony. Yes. Mm-hmm. And in women's circles, it's as though these three things become the legs of a stool that we can, we can rest on. Mhm. Yes. Because we can Yeah, that we can tell our unembroidered stories. Yes. Mhm. Yeah, I really feel like ceremony is so is is a human need that is really not being met for so many people. I feel like we we get so lost in the modern world um and ceremony is there to hold us and there to really help us to sink in with the cycles within us and around us and the flow of life to be really, to become part of the world again. As modern humans, it can often feel like we're not really present in the world. We're so separate from nature. And um, ceremony is a way to really help us in, in sinking back into being present with the world. You know, everybody has ceremonies, even if it's mm-hmm. even if it's birthday ceremony. Mhm. Yes. Yeah. Right. Or Halloween, or Easter, or Lent, mm-hmm. or Ramadan, or whatever it is. Most people still have some ceremony somewhere in their life, and one of the things that I think that you're suggesting is that more ceremony makes for more health. And it was interesting to me that in the the Human Longevity series, they didn't make much of a point of that. I mm. um, wasn't sure if they downplayed it because they didn't want to have, like, religious um, overtones, and mm-hmm. so many ceremonies, of course, are religious ceremonies that people partake of. Um, <clears throat> most of the ones that I just mentioned are religious, somewhat religious. Um, <clears throat> certainly there's all other kinds of ceremonies as well. Um, so it, it, it was notable to me in its absence that, mm-hmm. it, that it wasn't talked about except in a, a few instances in where they talked about the whole community coming together to do something and how important that was because they were talking about mm-hmm. of course the importance of community this yes. is this is especially important there where you live at earth at uh, earth haven echo community mm-hmm. because uh, i did, might not still be going on but originally it was a consensus community Correct. Yes. Mhm. Yeah, we pretty I mean, we're not exactly consensus anymore, but um we basically function um on consensus with some some other uh more details of of our governance. Um but we do we do function in a lot of ways as a consensus community. Yeah. 
Yeah, which is, I feel like it's... Which is amazing and time-consuming. Mm, yes, it's very time-consuming. That's very true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But living here has really um, helped me to really see the importance of community in, in my life and in, I think, human life. And it's something that I think... Um, is lost for a lot of people. We have like a lot of people have different kind of communities in our lives, but to have, I have people in my life that I know um, I'm going to, I'm, I'm here for the journey with. And so we can really sink into a lot of, um, a lot of work, a lot of connection, a lot of ceremony, a lot of physical work together. And um, having people in your life in that way that you can count on and come back to and share life with, I think is vital for for being a human. Mm. And you offer that online to women. I have been so negligent. Do forgive me. Please tell women how to get in touch with you. You did mention that you have a um, Moon Lodge Red Tent online. Yes, so I offer a Red Tent every month online. The next one is um, March 13th, and you can get more information at priestessofcycles.com. And I'll also be teaching a, a class about growing your own women's circle or red tent um, this fall on September 9th, and there's more information um, on my website as well. And say that name again, Priestess. Priestess, priestessofcycles.com. Priestessofcycles.com. Mm. Well, we have come to that magic time where I ask you, what do you want to leave in the hearts and minds of everyone who's been listening to you, Caitlin? Well, I'd like to say that, like you said, more ceremony. I'd also like to add conscious ceremony, bringing more consciousness and intention to the ceremony and ritual that we all have in our lives, I think can really help us all to really um, embody um, the transitions that we're going through and really become present in our lives and in the world. Mm. Ah, beautiful words. Mm. Bring more of yourself to it. Bring more of your awareness to it. Bring more of your senses to it. Let, Let yourself be enlivened by the ritual. Not enslaved yeah. by it. Exactly. It's one, yeah. it's one of those kind of odd things where, in a way, we had to swing like a comet far away from the prescribed rituals that mm-hmm. we were doing to, in order to swing back in this this very observant and aware way. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because we're not compelled. You don't mm-hmm. have to. So right. now you get to yeah. so now you get to choose to. Exactly. Exactly. And we are choosing to reweave the healing cloak of the ancients and to restore herbal medicine to its rightful place as people's medicine. What absolutely wonderful tasks we have taken on ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, the thing that really struck me about reading the the letter from that young man that I read at the very beginning of the show was I kind of turned and looked back at my younger self and I said, what chutzpah you had to believe that you could make the scientific tradition and the heroic tradition shove over and make room for the wise woman. Mm-hmm. But we have. Mm-hmm. 
Thank you, Caitlin. Well, Susan, I really, I really want to thank you so much for all of your work and your role in my life. Um, you, you're such a powerful woman and such a role model for me personally and for so many women. Uh, um, yeah, thank you so much. And thank you for carrying it on. That is the best thanks I could ever get. And thank you, mm-hmm. too, Sarah Ellen. We're all working here to get herbal medicine back into people's hands. Green blessings, everybody. Good night.